0: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound.
1: Retirement isn't what it used to be. What to do with the rest of your life. As it becomes a completely new phase of life, more and more people find themselves asking, What am I going to do? What am I going to do next? ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries,
0: found sound, sound bites, and tidbits we find where no one else is looking. From the airwaves, the internet, audio festivals, and anywhere else people are recording sound, The Third Coast curates the best and most interesting work and plays it for you for an hour each week.
2: You have to have a purpose-driven life. You need to be able to answer the question, I am
3: a...
0: It was the pithy and pointed writer, George Bernard Shaw, who famously said, Youth is wasted on the young. And just to guard against wisdom being wasted only on the aged, today on ReSound, we listen to our elders and give our parents and grandparents a turn at the mic.
1: Retirement is one of life's most difficult transitions, comparable in impact to divorce or death of a spouse. People find that the grass is not always greener, surprised, They discover that instead of a burden, work was the very thing that gave their lives structure, purpose, and fulfillment.
0: The Presbyterian Homes in Evanston are a sprawling campus of retirement accommodations that range from independent townhouses and apartments to buildings with full nursing care. And there, over 500 residents can take advantage of restaurant-like dining rooms, athletic facilities, and lush green walkways. Producer Joe Richmond got to know some of the residents of the Presby Homes, as they're called, and gave them tape recorders to document their days and thoughts for his series American Diaries. Here is The Last Place, Diary of a Retirement Home.
3: Department A103, and it's a little two-room cubicle. My name is Joseph G. Pine, P-E-I-N-E. The hard way. I'm 88 years old. I was a free soul up until a couple of years ago. <coughs> and after the last uh, bout that I had with a hospital, came up with the, uh, what do you call it, <coughs> Presbyterian homes, and said, this is the place to be. So that's why I'm here. So I sold the beautiful car of my life. Uh, Cadillac Ford or Sedan Deville, with a big tire on the back red leather lining big wire wheels oh it's a beautiful car
4: It was assumed many years ago when you got old you lived with the family and I guess there's something to be said for that But at the same time, it's a nice feeling to know you can be cared for without depending on the family or putting them out. One nice thing about being here, there are so many activities, so many movies we can see. We can have our EKG here, dentistry, podiatry, you name it, we have it here.
5: May I have your
4: attention for a moment? This morning there were you Well, I'm Eleanor Erickson. I am soon going to be 96 years old. Now, one thing, when we go to breakfast, breakfast is served at 7.30. We cannot go down in robes and slippers and curlers. <laughs> we have to be dressed. In a regular order? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Fine, thank
6: you. Joan says I complain
4: about the food. (laughs) Eggs, waffles, pancakes. Today was pretty good. (laughs) There's so much activity going on here. But you get to the place where you feel your age, and you just acknowledge that and thankful you don't
3: have to do anything.
6: Good morning, baby.
3: Seventy some odd years I smoked cigarettes. Well, let's say I'm eighty eight now and I started when I was twelve years old. So figure that one out. That's how long I smoked. And now I'm allowed my daughter allows me three cigarettes a day. One after breakfast, one after lunch, and one after dinner. And that's that's part of my problem. I have this thing to trot around with, wheeling that goddamn thing around all the time. And it's a green tank to which are attached uh, tubing that you put into your nose and you turn the oxygen on and it goes up into your nose and into your lungs and helps you to breathe. And there you go.
4: We're back in my room now, and I am taking my daily ration of raisins and gin. Ever hear of it? This should be interesting. Well, this is just a little plastic jar to fill up with white raisins. Cover them with gin and leave them stand for a couple weeks. They puff up a little bit, and then you eat 9 every day not 8 or 10 although i i sometimes have my 10 <laughs> and some people claim that it helps with arthritis and i got enough in here for maybe 2 or 3 days I have been in this room now for over five years. I realize this is my last home. lifetime care. When I came in here, I put my assets in trust that's used for my care. So they know that they have to take care of me until I'm gone and I know that too. And it's kind of a good feeling when I die, this is it.
3: I don't enjoy this kind of living, that's all. But don't forget that for years and years and years, I was on the road. I was a salesman, men's clothing. Society Brand Limited. I was in New York one day. I was in New Orleans the next. I was in San Francisco the next. I was a master of my own destiny. Sinatra says I did it my way. Now, all of a sudden, I have to be dependent. Somebody has to sometimes even open the door for me. And I don't like it. Like I say, if I had my car here... It wouldn't be so bad, and I'd have freedom. I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I had a car. On a day like this, I'd be out someplace, tool around a little bit. That car would be a Cadillac convertible.
5: Hi, honey. Um, I'm Betty Appleyard. On a Saturday afternoon, I'm sitting in my living room. If you'd like to know a little bit about the house where we live, it's called a townhouse here on the campus. Deb just came out of the shower looking great in his navy blue robe and his nice white hair freshly shampooed. He's so very thin, rangy, lanky, long legs, You look pretty good with a new haircut. How do you like that?
3: I needed a haircut.
5: Well, I know it was just looking terrible. I trimmed the back. The back
3: it looked shaggy, huh? It didn't didn't look good. I wish you cared
5: more about it. For money. (laughs) (laughs) The noise is my walker as I go around here. When I bought it, the man I bought it from said, you know, this is the Cadillac of the walkers. And so I look at it and think, I didn't want it, but I'm very grateful that I have it. Can't choose what happens to us. As I tell everybody from the chin up, I'm OK, but from there down, things are not so great. Oh, Dev's music is going rather loudly all of a sudden. Is this your favorite one, Dave? I
7: think
5: so. Beethoven's Opus 132 in A Minor. Oh, how I used to look forward to those musicals when they came to Chicago. I know, I know. No more going downtown.
8: No more going
5: to... Not with like me. That. You no. can go. You should go with the Lymans. They well, get everything. Well, no, 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 no. Well, you could. That's
8: not a good idea. Well,
5: it is a good idea. You just always say that you can't go out without me, but you can. Yeah,
3: right, well. It's all right.
5: Well, he stays with me a lot of times when I know he'd rather be doing other things. He's not a very expressive or emotional person and he'll just say, It's all right, it's okay. I don't mind. But I sometimes feel that that I mind And I just feel, I guess, as all older people feel as you grow older, that you don't want to be a burden to anyone, and especially not to your husband.
8: Okay. I think I'll go get myself something to eat. As usual.
5: As usual. Snack, snack, snack. Right. (laughs) Should I clean up the kitchen before? It's all cleaned up. Oh, really? It wasn't much. (laughs) Okay, honey.
4: This is the Westminster Beauty Salon, and I'm Evelyn Joe Johnson. Well, I'm getting a little haircut right now.
9: I'm Jack Wallace. and um, well, I'm 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 only interested in one woman, and that's Evelyn Joe Johnson. Well, she's at the hairdresser now. That she, she she takes care of herself very nicely. <laughs> Her apartment was just on the hall, and uh, so I would I would see her at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That was the beginning of it. Jack
4: is a nice fellow, and it's just a very nice feeling to all of a sudden have somebody somebody to hold your hand.
9: We have some some pretty ladies around here, and we have some very lovely ladies around here, but. They don't, they don't have her charm and, and attractiveness uh, to me, for me, and that's why I, that's, she's my gal. Hi, honey. Sit down here.
5: Well, you're sitting right in the middle. Okay,
9: okay, honey. Well, her husband had been dead for a few years, and um, my wife had been dead for two or three years, and. Um, so I asked her one night, and then she was in my arms, and I asked her if she would like to. Uh, would she? Would, did she look for favor upon my uh, marrying or uh, getting married? Absolutely. <laughs>
3: get sick and tired of looking at gray hair and walkers and walking sticks when I first got in here I thought it was wonderful all I was waiting for was to go out and meet some nice people never happened all I much was a bunch of gifts I'm used to walking in to a dining room and everybody says hi Joe hiya baby hi what's up but that isn't the case here. I want my usual butter pecan with chocolate sauce. And butter ice like cream or I'll have butter pecan. And you can throw this away. Now, most of the men that's sitting at that table there, they're all people that came from this area. Eight men that sit there every night, the bears, I call them. They sit there and speak in a well-modulated tone. And uh, there are different types of people. There are people that are bankers, former heads of businesses, lawyers. I was a men's clothing man. (laughs) We don't talk the same language. So I sit over to the side where I can keep my little tank by my side. And I'm sure that maybe these men see me Uh, as a half-invalid, and they feel, oh, gee whiz, this guy is on his last legs. Maybe they feel that way. But I certainly don't feel that way.
4: I'm writing a birthday card to my nephew, now, I'm 96 years old, and he is 80 years old. So he's a pretty much grown-up boy. I can't write longhand anymore. My hands are weak and arthritic, and I'm just glad if I can sign my name. But I'm very thankful that I can type, and I write an awful lot of letters. I've written hundreds over the few years. And I don't write just, the weather's nice or something like that. Very often I say a prayer of thanks for people that had an impact on my life, all my life. And I don't think any of us can have dozens of very close friends through the years, but I've had a few that I treasured. They're all gone. But uh, close friendships take time. Now, there, there are a lot of wonderful people here. You don't get to know them that well. We get together in groups. We're together three meals a day. But even those that you feel are very special, it, it's just a different relationship. It takes time to build a relationship and you don't have the time here finished
3: let's put it this way I never was a joiner my wife was she was very social so to speak my daughter is very social uh, my son is exceedingly social, and I'm not. I got a lot of good books that I read. Uh, I read the paper. Uh, in the evening, I watch television for a few hours, and uh, I'm not. I'm not lonesome. Fact of the matter is, if some buddy came to the door some afternoon, uh, I might turn him away. I might say, I'm sorry I'm busy. I haven't had that privilege, but nevertheless, I could. It all depends upon who knocks at the door. I haven't been able to find anybody yet. Maybe I'm not looking so hard. Maybe I'm not trying. Maybe I do not have the forcefulness that an old salesman used to have. You never know where you find somebody that you're akin to. You never know. It's Betty
5: again. I woke up early this morning, about 5.15, and um, I turn on the light in the bedroom because Dev sleeps very soundly. Each morning I do wake up with some pain and discomfort and... And then I get up and sit in the living room and look out. The sun, the morning sun, is coming in through the windows now and um, hits a little crystal bowl that's sitting on a chest in the middle of our living room. And then the whole spectrum I can see on the white wall behind it. Unfortunately, I can also see the dust on the top of that little chest. Well since i have not been able to get around so well i felt that after the second knee surgery that i would be able to do more things and i wouldn't be in pain but it's been a very great disappointment to me that the knee is not working that's what they told the doctor told me when he said that um the x-ray is fine there's nothing to do and i said well the man that did the first knee for me and he said sort of interrupted me, and he said, there is nothing can be done, It's nothing can be done, and you can, um, we could put a brace on you from the hip to the toe. And he said, well, people wear them, and then quite often they opt for amputation. That's all. He said, you can come back and see me in two or three months if you want to. That was it, that was the end of it. I was just so startled. So that was um, what I heard, and it was, it, you know, it takes one back, and I think that I'll never be walking along like other people, ever. But I'm hoping that I won't be totally. I'm sorry. But I think that even if I do become more disabled, and I th- I think... things that I could do. And my eyes are still good. (laughs) Thank heavens. But I'll be fine. Not perfect, but fine. (laughs)
3: I used to play all sorts of things, but my fingers are so bad, and they're stiff, nothing moves. Well, let's see how this comes out. (laughs)
4: good friends from the home here died this morning so she's a very nice person one of the first that I knew here and uh, talked to her often she played bridge with some people Friday night and I'm sure I saw her yesterday so today she's gone
1: I think I used to think quite often, oh, I'm going to die someday. It just didn't seem like it could happen, it would, that the world would go on. But you begin to realize that it will come to you eventually, and uh, I used to go to a lot of weddings, but now it's uh, funerals. No, no weddings lately. <laughs>
4: I have friends here that are very ready to go and I hope I will be like, like they are. I don't believe that I will die. Life will change and I will be in a better place.
9: Mrs. Evelyn jo Johnson and Mr. John A. Barwaldis invite you to be with us as we begin our new life together. No gifts, please. Your best wishes are preferred.
10: I Jack, take the Ellen Joe. the jo. To be my wedded wife. To be my wedded wife. To have
9: weddings are few and far between in Presbyterian homes. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to spending the rest of my life with her.
10: You
9: may kiss the bride. <laughs> Hello, Gretchen. It's good to have you here. I'm glad to see you here. Molly, it's great to have you
2: here. I'm glad you came.
9: Oh, they said, well, we understand you're gonna we're gonna tap cans on your on your walkers. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, 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 hi there, darling. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) My granddaughter just came to visit me with her two children, my two great-granddaughters. These were kids that I grew up with in our old neighborhood. This is me, the third one.
7: Wow, this is you?
4: That's me.
0: And that's me. You're
4: holding it up. It's kind of faded out, isn't it? I was about five years old, and when I look it over, I think everybody on there is gone except me. I alone am left. Tell like it is. Now I'm going to tell her. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) We're (laughs) close. When I'm with my grandchildren sometimes I realize how much I have slowed down when you're in a place like this you have more time and you do think of your life my past what I wish I had done differently about the people that had an impact on my life my life has been rich with friendships true friendships and I think a lot about that these days, but uh, I think sometimes people do. They dread getting old. You often hear that. I would not want to relive my life. There are a lot of wonderful memories that I have, but I, I don't want to go back. I'm going forward.
0: The last place: Diary of a Retirement Home was produced by Joe Richmond for WBEZ's public affairs series Chicago Matters. The diarists you heard were Eleanor Erickson, Joe Pine, Dev and Betty Appleyard, and newlyweds Evelyn Joe Johnson, and John Bayerwaldis. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. If you want to hear more of Joe Richmond's work, including his Third Coast Festival award winners, go to thirdcoastfestival.org. Today on ReSound, we listen to our elders and give our parents and grandparents
1: a turn at the mic. The word retirement, the word itself, may be taking on a more arbitrary meaning. No one really knows what retirement means anymore because it lasts so long and people are so active.
2: Welcome to Retirement Dialogues.
0: I'm Gwen Maxi. You're listening to Resound.
2: I don't whistle anymore. I hum. I find myself humming a lot. They say whistle while you work, but not once you retire. After you retire, you hum. So whistle while you work, Hum when you retire. That's the formula. That's how you do it.
0: Whistle and Hum from David Greenberger's Duplex Planet. When David Greenberger graduated from art school, he thought he might want to teach painting to older people. So he took a job as activities director at the Duplex Nursing Home in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. There, he unexpectedly found his life's work. He loved finding different ways to tell the stories of the people he met. He started Duplex Planet magazine in 1979 and has since produced a wide variety of stories, essays, and films on similar subjects. When we spoke to him on the phone, he said that he's not really interested in oral history per se. He believes that older people are far more than just a repository of their past. He's interested in their contemporary lives.
11: Oral history tends to have people... Revisit their often-told stories, mm-hmm. um, and and those stories, while having some value in and of themselves for their historical purposes, they they don't really. Um, you're not getting to know the person in the moment. In fact, if somebody tells you a really great story, of you know a complete narrative that's got excitement and you know they saved a, a, a puppy from a burning building or something, mm-hmm. if that story is told really well. Mm-hmm you'll remember the story and you'll tend to forget the person even. And I like the things that are conversational to the point of almost being fragmentary narratives so that the thing that really comes across is the character. When it's really a a broken bit of a story, you have nothing there but the character.
2: I expected my wife would outlive me. I was the one who was always in and out of hospitals, and my wife was always very healthy. One day I found her on the floor, and to make a long story short, she had cancer of the lung. She never smoked, I never smoked, no obnoxious fumes involved. So it was a tough year. During that same year I lost eight close friends, lifelong friends. So it was a year of comforting widows, comforting children, I just got to the point, I I called my daughter up and I said, I need a week's break. I came up here and I got the break all right. I paid my daughter a visit for three days, and three days into the visit, I fell down and broke my hip. That was in September of 2002, and I've been here ever since. I've had a few other breaks in addition. I can hardly walk now. My daughter asked me to move in with her, but I have good relations with my daughter and I want to keep it that way. So I said, no, I won't move in with you, but I'll move to the same town. Is it what I planned? No, it's certainly not what I planned. It's certainly not the way I thought my life would go and not the way I thought my life would end. But I'm thankful for the many good years I had. I really am. I had a very full life and I was fortunate. I never had a job I didn't like
0: break from Duplex Planet. The Duplex Planet audio pieces are written and performed by David Greenberger, based on conversations he's had with older people. I asked him why he uses his own voice in the work, instead of recordings of the people he's talked to.
11: I like putting the things in my voice because its I'm not creating a documentary about the people that I talk to. I'm more um, just sort of offering up a range of voices of, 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 of characters, rather, who who are old and uh, that are in decline and that the audience didn't know before, and, and it just so happens that these are real people that it's based on. But what really matters is just sort of getting to kind of hear some of this stuff, and, and I think by distancing it, by moving it one step away, you actually hear the text and the words for what they mean rather than having a automatic response to uh the sound of something we're used to certain formats and uh if you hear an old per- person talking on a recording you think well this is oral history or this is a documentary or i don't think i would be interested in this you know but by removing it from that it's a way for me to underscore that it's 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 about our common humanity it's about these things that happen to all of us let's not get so focused on the this one person that we think it's just about them. These are various aspects of decline that are out there and awaiting all of us. It, it's better to sort of see a range of those things and know something about it to age with some, you know, grace and dignity, and not you know kicking and screaming the whole way.
2: I was pretty well known around town as a printer. There was a private plant called Geezy, which did a lot of work for advertising agencies, national ads, you know, and stuff like that. I stayed with them for 13 years and I was well paid there, but it was all night work. My wife was sick and I told them I had to have a day job or I couldn't stay on the job. My wife was diabetic and she was getting pretty bad, see, and I was taking care of her. And my son, I just have one child, a boy, I think he was in college then. But they said, no, we'll give you anything you want as far as making money. I always made double salaries, you know, but I had to work for it, and money was no object. When they got the work, you worked 10, 12, 14, 20 hours, right straight through. Saturdays, Sundays, anything. Money was not the problem. It was just, could you take it or not? I told my wife, you know, I can't get that day job, so I guess I better quit. So, 1972, I quit. They tried to get somebody to take my place, but nobody wanted a setup like what I had. You know, it was too tough. They didn't want to be tied up that way. I did it for 13 years. And so, after that, I stayed at home, took care of my wife. was the same age we only lived about three blocks apart our families knew each other ever since we were little kids then one time I met her someplace and she'd gone to work for a department store she became an executive secretary we got talking and she knew a lot about what I was doing and everything and I says this gal's pretty smart first thing you know we started going together and then we got married yeah we were married for 55 years I think it is She started to get sick after maybe 45 years of marriage. She put on a lot of weight, and then she developed this diabetic condition, see. She tried, but I guess at first it was like nothing, you take pills, you know. Then it became insulin once a day, then it became twice a day, and I was giving it to her. Then I couldn't see too good towards the end, and you can't get air in the needle when you're drawing it out of the bottle. If you get a little bubble in there, it's no good, you'll inject it into an artery. So a nurse happened to be there, and she says, you're through, no more for you. So we found somebody would fill the needles for us for a week at a time. My wife, she got real disgusted then. She didn't want to take her medication or nothing. I can't blame her. I know how she felt, because that's the way I feel now, too, sometimes. She passed away in 1992. I lived alone for about six and a half years, and now here I am. I moved here, I don't know how long it's been, about a month, not even. I lived alone before I came here, and it was rough. Do your own cooking, transportation. I couldn't drive a car, nothing. You know, my legs went bad. I was worried. I got to a certain stage where I started worrying about everything. You know, your financial status and what's going to happen to me. I knew I was slipping. We had care for me for a while, for maybe uh, six months. Awful expensive. So my son says you come here don't worry about nothing he's the guy that put me in here he's doing everything my son told me you've got to get around people hey i have a little problem remembering names though because in my line of work it wasn't what you were reading you're looking for uh, proofreading and stuff like that you're looking for errors and the stuff goes right through your mind you don't keep it i was good at that maybe that's why i'm so clear-minded but not good with memory I'll give you an example. I'm trying to get along with people here, and I'm starting to write their names down, and I review it all the time. You know, oh, that's so-and-so, and I sit with her at the dining room table and stuff like that. I'm beginning to find out that it works. My son advised me to do that, too. He said, oh, it'll come to you. Don't worry about it. I take a lot of medication. I've got a little condition in the heart. I take about 10 pills or 11 pills a day. They're expensive too. They run about a couple hundred dollars a month. They handle all the pills here for me. That's another thing they do. This is what they call a retirement home, but it has four stages or levels of care. I think I'm on level two. They watch me when I take a shower. They help me because it's slippery in there. They don't want me to do things alone. I met a lot of people I know here that lived in Portland, and I'm getting acquainted pretty fast. You saw the list of names of people I sit with. Well, you gotta call them something. The sorrow gets to you. It'll get to you. It's not good for you feeling sorry for yourself most of the time. Why did this happen to me? Of course, you get in a place like this and everybody's in the same shape. I was only 135 pounds in high school. I made the football team, but took quite a beating. I played, but my body was too frail. (laughs) Look at my head. I got a hole there. I got kicked in the head. That's a fracture. Doctor always feels it when I go. There's a hole there, I guess. Never bothered me or anything. You can't complain too much, you know what I mean? I can see it now, but when I first came in, I was shaken. I wasn't sure I could handle it. I can handle it. I know my limits, you know. Some of the people are kind of ordinary at different levels, different stages. Women like to be with the women and men like to be with the men. And they have so many activities here that you're always looking forward to something if you want to take them in. I'm 90, Jesus, what am I complaining about?
0: Burger of Duplex Planet. The family of a radio producer is a family who is used to talking into a microphone. So when independent producer Dan Collison's mother moved into a retirement home, he, perhaps predictably, recorded the whole thing. And five years later, when she made another major transition, he was there for the sequel, reviewing, with his mom, how things have panned out over the last few years. This is their story. It's called Mom's Good Move, Part 2.
8: I figured I'd surprise Mom, so I got off the plane and went and picked up a bunch of flowers.
11: Hello, I'm here
8: to see Peg Collison, Margaret. But the surprise was on me. Mother, what are you doing on the floor?
7: I'm sorry.
8: As I walked into her room, she was sitting on the floor in the middle of the doorway. Her legs were out in front of her, and she was supporting herself with her elbows, sort of like she was waiting for the band to start playing at an outdoor concert.
7: Are you in any pain? Well, I was in pain before, you know, this is the bad day. A
8: whole team of painful. nurses crowded around her.
5: What happened? How'd you fall?
8: She didn't seem to be hurt. She was pretty confused about things. Her wheelchair and her walker were both about 10 feet from her, meaning that she must have scooted somehow on her behind across the floor for some distance.
7: Were you walking without the walker? Uh, yeah, I, I remember this. Th- Something going forward, and I remember letting out a yell, but nobody seemed to hear me.
8: It had been about six months since I'd seen Mom, and I knew she'd been having more and more problems. But I have to admit, I don't think I was quite prepared for this. We had another little accident. I was so shaken up, I dropped the flower vase that I was putting her flowers into, and it shattered all over the room, hundreds of pieces scattered about. The Collison family is wreaking havoc.
5: Let me see who I can get to clean that up.
8: You wonder why I brought this microphone?
7: Well, you brought it so I could talk into
10: it.
8: Mom's an old pro at talking into a tape recorder. She documented her move with her partner, Chaz, in the spring of 2000, from her home, where she lived for more than 30 years in San Mateo, California, to the university retirement community in Davis, California, near Sacramento. It was, by all accounts, a good move.
7: I'm sitting in the ladder back chair and I'm looking out the window at a fluffy white clouds and a blue sky.
8: This was mom about a week after she and Chaz had settled into their two-bedroom, independent living apartment up on the fourth floor.
7: It's nice to know that this is home now and it feels like home and we're very, very comfortable and happy that we've made this move.
8: A lot has happened since mom's good move and sadly, much of it is not good. In 2003, mom got breast cancer And during her radiation treatments, Chaz, her partner of 10 years, who she got together with after my dad died, passed away. After that, she went into a pretty severe depression, and at the same time, her physical health eroded. A degenerative knee that her doctor, Jim Shebrell says is probably the worst knee he's ever seen on any human being. And chronic lower back pain has her alternating between a walker on good days and a wheelchair most of the time.
10: And then as I cared for her through time... Um, she started to slip into a dementia process, which to our best um, guess is an Alzheimer's type process and likely progressive. So she's she's been in this prolonged run of just losses. Where When did the gains come? You know, and it, it, that's very difficult.
8: Her most recent loss was having to give up that sunny independent living apartment on the fourth floor. My brother Frank and I are packing up her smaller assisted living apartment on the second floor, which she lived in for just four or five weeks, and getting her settled into her room in skilled nursing, which is on the
1: ground floor. I'm trying to be organized because that's the only way I can keep my sanity here. Excuse me. I feel very sad that she is each time losing more and more possessions. There's a play called the, um, what is it called? It's by Boris Vian. And in each act, this family flees to a higher and higher room in, the, in a building, and, and they have less and less until the final act is just the father left in a four-by-eight room. And uh, it's kind of mom's, mom's space has diminished over the years and, along with her health. To some residents here, the idea of
8: skilled nursing is that it's, it's a place where one is sentenced to. It doesn't have real good memories for mom because it was where Chaz died. So I asked her how she feels about making it her new home.
7: I think it's as as of now, it sounds like a practical idea, but I I haven't thought things over or talked things over very much.
8: The fact is, she doesn't like to be in skilled nursing at all, and I, I know that, and she doesn't really like to talk about it.
7: Take it away. I can't do it.
8: She asked me to turn the tape recorder off.
7: I don't mean I can't do the move, I mean I can't voice my feelings
8: off tape she did talk more openly and she talked about having things taken from her things like her apartment her car her driving privileges and really her independence and she got teary-eyed and talked about feeling totally overwhelmed and powerless about all these things and then she uh, raised the idea of of moving in with my wife and me and she said she would uh, clean our house and walk the dog and and even talked about starting a little knitting or sewing shop. And, you know, I actually wasn't sure if she was serious or not. Later on, she claimed she never made the house cleaning offer. There were times after we brought down all the belongings of hers that would fit into a room that mom seemed to be starting to accept this latest move. She'd hum along to Oscar Peterson on the boombox beside her bed. She would read poetry. She loves reading poetry, and she even invited her friends and fellow residents Jim and Nancy Pollock over to see what she called her new homey room.
7: Come in and admire the decor. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes.
7: I'm glad to see her in the acceptance mood. Of where she is, and I think that's very difficult for anybody, and especially for a very independent person like Pig. But she is coming around very well, I feel, in a healthy way.
5: Happy New Year to the West Coast of the United States.
8: But the whole time I was there, I kept thinking about this scene from Mom's Good Move, the series we produced together, and how Mom really hadn't been banking on living a life by herself.
7: Well, it's the year 2000.: And Chaz and I are, have celebrated all evening long. and uh, it seems to be a good time to think about how we feel about that new year. I'm pretty excited about the idea of going into a new place and a new town. What about you? Well, it's
3: going to mean a complete change in our lives.
7: Now you say complete change. Um, well. I, I, I know what you mean, but um, what do you think is still going to be the same? What will we still have? Each other, obviously. Happy New Year, my dear. <laughs> Happy
3: New Year to you, love.
7: <laughs> I'm really, I really think it's going to be great, as long as we're together. Well, I remember when I said that. And thought to myself that maybe that's a little reaching a little too far, knowing how his health was. But there, there are times when the past looks much more appealing than than the present.
10: She's a very bright lady. She can see the writing on the wall. And if you pulled the nation, and you put it out there, this is everybody's worst nightmare. Nobody wants to get old and frail and have, and have their freedoms taken away. I mean, none of us want that. We want to live good, long, healthy lives, be independent, and then die really fast of something, hopefully in our sleep and painlessly. It's unfortunate, though, that it just doesn't always work out that way. So we're going to help cushion her fall, essentially. But I don't think that we can prevent it or stop it. I wish we could.
6: <laughs> Hi, sweetie.
8: One of the people who is helping to cushion the fall is her good friend Rick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rick isn't a resident here, yeah. he's the husband of the minister at Mom's church. Mom calls him her adopted son and she absolutely adores him.
7: Oh, I was going to do a poem for you, wasn't I?
8: Rick has been helping Mom try to come up with a title for this story.
7: Mom's Good Move too. the mm-hmm. sequel. The sequel,
11: that's... How about I- Mom's Scooter Move? after your little scooting around on the floor the other day.
7: <laughs> That's one of the reasons that she always wants me around, I think, is because I can make her laugh no matter how bad she's feeling. Almost, always can make her laugh.
11: <laughs> Mom's good movement, maybe.
7: <laughs> no, 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 no. You're speaking to somebody who is quizzed on that the topic every morning in the skilled nursing. You know, I said, oh, I'm going to have to be leaving soon, and... She said, "Well, you know, the thing I'm worried about is I don't know how to get home from here." And I said, "Well, honey, this this is your home. This is your room here." And she said to me, "Oh boy. You know, there there I went again. I didn't realize where I was or who I was."
8: As I head for home, I try to remind myself that Mom's actually pretty fortunate to be here and. We should all be really thankful about that. She has loving friends, she's in a, in a good place with uh, caring staff. But I have to say, it's, it's hard to feel okay about this latest move if Mom's not happy about it.
7: I want to be happy, but I can't be happy till I make you happy too.
8: A couple months later, Mom flew to Los Angeles for my brother's wedding. I thought it was a bad idea but she really rose to the occasion. And she read this Longfellow poem during the ceremony.
7: Kind hearts are the gardens, kind thoughts are the roots.
8: Since then, she's been like a new woman. Her mood and her outlook are much better and her memory's really improved. It's hard to say just why. It could be a change in her medication or it could be she's just come to terms with where she is now. All I know is we're just glad to have her back.
7: Take care of your garden. And keep out the weeds, and fill it with sunshine, kind words, and kind deeds. Mom's Good
0: Move 2 was produced by Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister for the Heartland series from Long Productions. If you are so moved, drop us an email and tell us what you think of today's show. Questions, comments, rants, and raves can be sent to us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org.
11: Recall that Spinoza advised us to realize that happiness lies in the movement from a state of lesser perfection to yet that of a greater one. To him, happiness lays in the movement, not the attainment, of a particular goal or project.
1: When the original Social Security Act was finalized, FDR, a student of history, used a historical precedent to select 65 at the age at which retirement should begin. Where did this come from? President Roosevelt made reference to Kaiser Wilhelm, the ruler of Germany in the 1800s. Kaiser Wilhelm set the date at 65 when he was trying to get rid of the enemies he had within the German government. He noticed that most of them were over 65. Smart man he set that as the retirement age. Thus began the concept of mandatory retirement.
0: I'm Gwen Maxey. You're listening to ReSound.
6: The secret
2: to a happy retirement is separate bathrooms. That's at the top of the list. You can even have glass in your shower door and the door sliding over your bathtub. Don't have this smoky glass in there that makes you feel as though you're claustrophobic. Have clear glass. You're not going to let anyone in the bathroom anyway. You might as well enjoy the
11: spaciousness.
2: And the other thing is the husband should learn to use the microwave. What this means is you can cook a big pot of 15 beans, bean soup, and put it in little plastic containers, a cup of soup, and then your husband, who is so sweet while you're off flying bridge, will go in the kitchen and put that in the microwave and set it at two minutes to thaw it, put it in a bowl and heat it for two more minutes. He has a hot lunch. He can have a sandwich or a salad, but husbands who can't use the microwave create great problems for retired ladies. He is so good! Now this is not funny, but in my heart of hearts I'm kind of preparing him for life without me, just in case. That doesn't mean I'm going to try to leave any earlier, but I'm preparing him. Not only can he use the microwave, but he can even do his lunch. He does his fabulous sandwich in the George Foreman grill. That means he has one real meal that he can make. And he can already do coffee and warm something in the microwave for breakfast and fix instant oatmeal. He can do sandwich, soup, and salad. He'll make it. He'll be sad for a while, but he'll make it. And the only thing I have not done yet, he has not really checked out on the washer and dryer. About the only time you really get checked out on the washer and dryer is when the wife is really sick and she can't do it. And another thing. We don't want to talk about death and don't do that a lot. But one day my husband said, well, I think the way I want to go is lying in bed holding hands. I said, well, okay. But I added one thing to it. On the day I've had my hair done.
0: Secret to a Happy Retirement from David Greenberger's Duplex Planet. And now we leave you with a sad note. Since the original recording of today's stories, some of the older participants have passed away. But we feel that while they were here, they left something invaluable behind, their voice, and the nuances therein, timbre, color, tone, that captures not just their thoughts and memories, but their spirit. If there's any wisdom to be found in what they left with us, this is where it lies. Free Sound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxey. The program is produced by Roman Mars and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Our production assistant is Delaney Hall. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from around the world. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else, unless you live everywhere else.